Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, July the 7th, 2022. It is currently 2.22 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where it's currently 101 degrees. And what I'm being told is we're going to reach 106 to 107 by the end of this day. Can you believe that? It feels like we're living in the middle of a desert. Is that is that a good intro? Does that work? Or is it just too like right on the nose? Is that uh, is that was that desperate? Was that trying too hard? Yes, it's going to be 107 degrees outside. It's like we're living in the desert, a desert, the desert, desert. D- does that bring when I, when you hear the I, when you hear the word desert, what comes to your mind? Does church history come to your mind? Does that come to your mind? Does the word desert bring to your mind church history, specifically the desert fathers? What about the desert mothers? Are you familiar with that, that those individuals known as the desert fathers or the desert mothers? Have you read any of their writings? Do you know the sayings of the desert fathers and the desert mothers? Do you know anything about them? Has there been any teaching in your church about the desert fathers? Probably there hasn't, okay? Most likely there, there, there isn't. And the reason I know that is because sadly... In most churches, very little church history is ever taught. In fact, most Christians who learn about church history have to go learn about church history from, well, parachurch ministries or from finding books or something other than their church. And you have to ask yourself, why is the church so reluctant to teach history? Shouldn't the church not only want to, but shouldn't everyone in the pew be excited to learn about the history of the faith which they claim to possess, the the faith which they they claim to hold to? If you hold to the faith, if you have a faith in Christ, shouldn't you want to know the history of those who have claimed to have faith in the same Christ, in the same Jesus? Wouldn't you want to know if you claimed, in a sense, to be a part of the church? Wouldn't you want to know the history of that? I think we should. Now, what bothers me is that in many churches, they teach church history in a very self-serving way. They're like, we're going to go back in church history, and we're going to look at all of those things that we agree with. We're going to go back to church history to somehow we're going to use the history of the church to prove that we are right in the present. We're going to go back in church history to prove that we're the most right church and we have the most right doctrine. It's very self-serving. And I don't like church history being taught in a self-serving manner. I'm opposed to that. I think when you go back to church history, you don't go back to church history to try to prove that you're right. You don't go back to church history to try to uncover clues that tells you that tells you and others that you're right. You don't go back to church history to study it to try to win a debate. You go back to church history to discover the reality of what the church was, what it taught, what it believed at specific times in history, whether you agree with it or whether it disagrees with you. 
I just want to know the truth about what happened in the past. I don't want to, I don't want to ignore certain things because I don't agree with it. I, I, I've done a podcast episode many years ago about an article that was written basically telling everyone, avoid the church fathers. Don't read the church fathers. The church fathers are dangerous. Don't read them. You just keep your people away from them because if you study the church fathers, you could become Catholic. And I'm like, we're, we're afraid of church history because we may find that there are people in the past who I know shocking didn't believe like we did and taught things that were different than we hold to. I, I don't understand why we are like avoid them. And what's even worse is when people misrepresent church history, when they, when they go back and try to find three or four words or, or three or four sentences or a paragraph in a writing by a church father saying, see, he agreed directly with us. Here's the, here's the key when it comes to church history. Don't go back to church history to try to turn those people uh, or try to recreate those people into your image. Go back into church history and let them be who they were and believe what they believed. They're not Plato for us to manipulate. They're human beings who taught and believed in the history which they were found. And we just want to go back and just say, in a sense, we just want to go back and watch and say, okay, live out your Christian life. Write the things you're going to write. Preach the sermons you're going to preach. Give the the decrees from the council that you were at, whatever the case may be. And we just want to be listen to it in a sense, read it, study it. And understand it, not for any purpose of manipulation, but simply to know. All right, I, and I and I, I'm yeah, I'm very passionate about it because I get very tired of how church history is typically. Well, I, I'm tired of the fact that church ignores the history of the church. That bothers me all day long. And secondly, when they decide to actually touch the topic, it's usually ripping things out of context, misrepresentation, and simply using it for our own, for our own advantage. And I can't stand that. I hate when church history simply gets reduced to, you know, uh, information used in a debate. No, our doctrine is older than your doctrine. No, this doctrine started before that doctrine. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And it's like, you know what? How about everyone be quiet and let's just go study church history and let it say what it says. It is, I don't know. Is that a crazy idea? I, I don't know. I, I just, I, yeah, I have strong words about it. But I am talking about all of this on this Thursday. If I said Tuesday, I apologize. On this Thursday, July the 7th, 2022, where it's currently 101 degrees. And the reason I'm talking about why it's so hot and talking about the desert is because we're going to talk about the Desert Fathers. We're going to talk about the Desert Fathers. I'm going to give you just a little bit of information about the Desert Fathers, and then I'm going to point you to five books, five books to help you get to know the Desert Fathers. It's summertime, so maybe before this summer is over, you can grab one of these five books, sit down with a nice cool drink, and learn about the Desert Fathers simply to learn about them and to learn about them in a correct way, not in to, to manipulate them or misrepresent them. All right. Now, when I, I, of all the schools I've gone to, I can't tell you how many seminaries, Bible college, Bible institutes that I've gone to and graduated from. If I, 99.9, put it this way, I can, I can say this dogmatically, 100% of the 
Protestant, non-Catholic ones that I attended. I may have heard the Desert Fathers mentioned maybe once or twice, maybe a quote from one of the Desert Fathers, but nothing of great significance was ever done with them. It was a Catholic university where I decided to work on a degree in Catholic theology so that I could speak about Catholicism from a position of knowledge and not one of ignorance. I had an entire class on the Desert Fathers that I thought was extremely intriguing. Do I agree with all the theology of the Desert Fathers? No, but again, that's that's never the point of studying church history. I don't study church history to find theology I agree with. I study church history to just see what was being taught at the time, whether I agree or disagree. It's ir- my my feelings about it are ir- are ir- are irrelevant to the study of history. History is just I go back to see what was not what I want it to be or what I think about it, just to see what it what happened and what occurred. Did, I, I hope that makes sense. Okay, someone somewhere has to be, I'm hoping someone is like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping someone is doing, okay, maybe, maybe not. All right, but are you ready? A little bit of information about the Desert Fathers. Sometimes known as the Christian hermits, you may have heard that term, but I prefer the term Desert Fathers because that's how I learn about them. The Desert Fathers were early Christian hermits. That's why, so Christian hermits and the Desert Fathers were early Christian hermits. Again, I just like the term Desert Fathers. And they they practiced asceticism in the Egyptian desert. So there's the desert. There is the desert in Egypt, the Egyptian desert. They practice a form of asceticism beginning in the third century. They formed the basis of, of Christian monasticism, or the idea of living basically in a monastery. You understand, a monk or a monastery. The Desert Fathers really kind of formed the basis of the monastic lifestyle, a monasticism, that you would leave the cities, in a sense, withdraw from, from society and culture and dedicate your life to God, to prayer, to scripture, to meditation, and you just withdraw from the world. You, you go out into the desert to give your life to God. That that is kind of the mentality of the Desert Fathers. Following the example of Jesus' life of poverty, service, and self-denial, the early monks devoted themselves to vows of austerity, prayer, and work. Believers who chose to go into the desert as hermits were said to be answering the call of Christ. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, then come and follow me, Matthew 19, 21. Now, we can get in there and see how they were handling Matthew 21. They viewed Matthew 21 as, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. If you're really going to follow Christ, sell everything you have, in a sense, leave the world behind and go find a place where you can just dedicate your life to God. That's how they interpreted Matthew 21. We could go through this and go, we can, again, we may not like the way they handled the text, but it's just the reality. Many saw that, and we could get into early, you know, uh, biblical hermeneutics and why they handled these texts these these ways. There's so many different ways we could go with this. The goal is not to take it all apart, but I just want you to see that they would have felt that they had biblical support. A lot of Christians was like, no, 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 no. Jesus said he's not going to take us out of the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. We're in it, but not of it. He wants us in it so that we can be a light, that we can be salt. 
uh, they would say, no, no, no. Jesus said, sell everything you have and leave everything. Deny yourself and come and follow me. That means leaving the world. And you'd be, you'd quote your scripture. They would quote their scripture. And well, you know, that's how church history has worked, isn't it? But that's their kind of some of their scriptural basis for it. Perhaps the first of the desert fathers, or sometimes referred to in another term, the desert hermits, would have been St. Paul of Thebes. St. Paul of Thebes, which is T-H-E-B-E-S. St. Paul of Thebes, who fled to the Thebian desert during the persecution of Christians, uh, 249 to 251 AD, 249 to 251 AD, um, or what would be known as CE, the Christian era, depending, okay, we'll just go with AD, 249 to 251, under the uh, Roman emperor, I think it was Decius, was it? I think it's D-E-C-I-U-S, I think it's the Roman emperor Decius, I think is how you say his name, or Dicius, I think maybe Dicius is the way you uh, pronounce his name, but that's between 249 and 251. It was it was during that time of, of persecution that he fled the Thebian to the Thebian desert, St. Paul of Thebes, who became one of the possibly first of the desert fathers, all right? Persecution, he flees. Um, tradition holds that he was buried by St. Anthony of Egypt, which is easily the most famous of the desert fathers. If you know any of Saint uh, Saint Anthony of Egypt is clearly the most famous of the Desert Fathers, and I, if I remember correctly, let me see here. If I remember correctly, I think Athanasius wrote a biography of. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, Anthony of Egypt gave away all his inherited riches and, re- and retired to a hut in the desert. His very long and influential life as a hermit precipitated what had been called the peopling of the desert. So it's really Anthony of Egypt uh, is really what kind of leads everyone to go run off to the desert. And really the reason why is because Bishop Ath- Athanasius published a book extolling Anthony's life. And flocks of Christian men and women came to Egypt to live uh, the life exemplified by St. Anthony, all right? St. Anthony, uh, well, I won't go through some of his quotes, but there you go. So St. Anthony clearly becomes probably by easily the most famous. And supposedly he buried, uh, tradition holds that he was buried by St. Anthony of Egypt. So St. Paul of Thebes, possibly the first, was buried by St. Anthony of Egypt, was clearly the most famous. St. Paul of Thebes would be first. St. Anthony of Egypt would be the most famous, clearly because uh, basically his life story was written down by St. Athanasius. And you have to know the importance of St. Athanasius in church history, right? The Athanasian Creed, right? I mean, yeah, you're, okay. We, we can't go study everything in church history. You put it this way, as a Christian, you should definitely know St. Athanasius, right? You you have to know that. I mean, come on. Your church has had to have had sermons about Athanasius, right? You, yeah, come on. You've had to. There's just no way. If I get emails from people going, I've never heard of Athanasius, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fall over. Your your church had to. It, and even if you I can understand if you go to church and you never heard of St. Paul of Thebes. 
you had to have heard of St. Anthony of the of Egypt. You've had to have heard those names. I mean, come on. You Okay. All right. I always say that because I'm just always blown away about how much history people haven't learned. All right. But so St. Anthony of Egypt, he's the most famous, and he's the one who, who is considered the founder and father of organized Christian monasticism. Uh, St. Pacomius of Thebaid, St. Pacomius, that's P-A-C-H-O-M-I-U-S, St. Pacomius of Thebaid, and if I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly, that's, uh, see, St. Pacomius is somewhere 290 A.D. to 346, he organized nine monasteries for for men and two for women, some of the desert mothers. Uh, so he he organized these monasteries, okay? And it's, and the desert mothers are credited with being, oh no, wait, St. Pacomius, I think, is accredited with being the founder of what would be called communal monasticism in the Western world. Other desert fathers include Macarius, the Egyptian, Arsenius, the Great, and 27 what we would call fathers, and three of what we would call mothers, all right? So there are 27 fathers, there's 27 what would be called desert fathers, and three what we would call the desert mothers. Now, 100 1,000, I should say, 1,202 sayings of the fathers and mothers were collected in an influential work called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. You, I'm not saying you should know all 27. I think you should know at least one of the mothers, and I think you should know maybe one or two of the fathers, but I'm going to give you the opportunity this summer. I don't know what the temperature is where you live, but if you live here in West Texas, it's like you're in the desert. So this is a great time. This is the perfect time of year to say, I'm going to read about the desert fathers where you can imagine them living out their their asceticism, living out this monastic lifestyle in the Egyptian desert. It's easy to imagine what that's like, when it's, what, 106 degrees outside. I just think it's a perfect time. So do you want five books? Five books that I can recommend today that I say, check these out and learn a little bit about the Desert Fathers. I hope you are ready. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Five books for getting to know the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Now, if you want to see this list, you can find it at ChristianityToday.com. ChristianityToday.com, all right? Here we go. The first one is called The Way of the Heart by Henry, and that is spelled H-E-N-R-I, Nowen, N-O-U-W-E-N. Henry Nowen, if I am saying that incorrectly, I apologize. Henry Nowen, The Way of the Heart. Now, this little classic was where, the author of this article that I'm reading, this little classic was where I first met the likes of Anthony, Arsenius, and Theodora, The Way of the Heart is indispensable reading for understanding how solitude, silence, and prayer mark the life of holiness. Writes the author of the book, the words flee. Be silent and pray always summarize the spirituality of the desert. They indicate the three ways of preventing the world from shaping us in its image, and thus the three ways to live in the spirit. 
All right? Solitude, silence, and prayer. Solitude, silence, and prayer. According to the person who wrote the book, The Way of Heart, this summarizes the spirituality of the desert, and it indicates the three ways of preventing the world from shaping us into its image. So if you don't want the world to shape you into its image, you give yourself to solitude, to silence, and prayer. Okay, I would probably say solitude, silence, scriptural meditation, and prayer. I would go definitely much more in that direction. But it's always interesting when you go back to a certain point in church history, that in many cases, I mean, you have average Christians who didn't have what we have right here, you know? They didn't have a Bible that I could just grab any time of day. So, but that's always a a different part of, of church history that we could talk about. But the way of the heart, by Henry Nowen, N-O-U-W-E-N-E-N. And again, this is they, they, some believe this is indispensable reading for understanding how solitude, silence, and prayer mark the life of holiness. I'm going to click on the book. You can get it uh, for $10.99 um, on Amazon. It's called The Way of the Heart, Connecting with God Through Prayer, Wisdom, and Silence. Since its first publication... The way of the heart has helped millions of men and women cast off the anger and great and greed that trouble the world and find love, compassion, and peace in the heart of God. Um, it uh, it was inspired by the teachings of Saint Anthony and the Desert Fathers. So this book really takes some of their teaching and then kind of places it in its own format, but it will let, at least let you be confronted with some of their teaching. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. I've already tried to establish this in my introduction. That doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything. It means you're going to see, wow, I wonder, this is what you're to think when you're reading things like, like The Way of the Heart or any book about the Desert Fathers or the Church Fathers or anything in church history. Okay, first, you want to clearly understand what they taught. You don't want to misrepresent it. You don't want to try to twist it. You're just like, huh, that's what they taught. And then you may ask, Why? Sometimes you'll determine the why, maybe based on, well, what, what scriptures did they have access to or did not have access to? That could be a, a way, a reason. Another thing could be is determining, this is important, what was their hermeneutical method that they were utilizing to draw the conclusion that they were drawing, and why do we not use the same hermeneutical method today? Not only that, were they relying on scripture or were they relying on the authority of the church? I mean, there's always lots of issues that you could you could talk about. I don't want to, again, I could just start going into church history for 30, you know, for 30 hours and you would get tired of listening to me. All right, there's the first one. The way of the heart. Henry, H-E-N-R-I, Nowen, N-O-U-W-E-N. Uh, this book is considered by at least the author of the article that I'm reading, indispensable reading for understanding how solitude, silence, and prayer marks the life of holiness. I see how many pages is this book? I also like to give you that information when I have it. It's only 112 pages, only 112 pages. That's some quick reading in the summer while you're reading about the Desert Fathers, right? Book number two, The Wisdom of the Desert. The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton, M-E-R-T-O-N. Few have lived the wisdom of the desert as radically as the Trappist monk Thomas Merton. His book of collected sayings give a beautiful glimpse into what motivated the fathers and mothers. 
As Merton observes, what the father sought most of all was their own true self in Christ. And in order to do this, they had to reject completely the false, formal, self-fabricated under social compulsion in the world. Amen to that, right? This is the wisdom of the desert. Um, it was written, it looks like a, this is an older book, like from 1970. Uh, it's called The Wisdom of the Desert, New Directions. Um, and it is 81 pages. So this is a quick read, 81 pages, $4.99 for the Kindle, $4.99 for the Kindle. Uh, wait, that's taking me to the Kindle version. Here, here's a little bit more about the book. The, wis- the Wisdom of the Desert was one of Thomas Merton's favorite among his own books, surely because he had hoped to spend his last years as a hermit. The personal tones of the translations, the blend of reverence and humor so characteristic of him, show how deeply Merton identified with the legendary authors of these sayings and parables. The fourth century Christian fathers who sought solitude and contemplation in the desert of the Near East. Uh, the hermits of Screet who turned their backs on a corrupt society, remarkably like our own, had much in common, and then they talk about other things that they had in common with, all right? That's called The Wisdom of the Desert New Directions. Am I telling you to agree, agree with everything in the book? No, I think I've already established that. So let's go through them again. All right. Summer 2022, good opportunity to get to know the Desert Fathers. Book number one to help you do this is called The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. The second one is called The Wisdom of the Desert, by Thomas Merton. You can get the way of the wisdom of the desert for $4.99 for your Kindle, and it's only 81 pages. That was a quick read. Again, I'm not saying you're going to agree with everything, but you're going to see, wow, at that point in church history, that's interesting to kind of view things this way, or, wow, that's a weird, where did that idea come from? And you may see some, I don't know, I don't, man, that's just so totally messed up. Okay, that, That's okay to do that, all right? Next, the third one, The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks, translated by Benedicta Ward, right? The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks, translated by Benedicta Ward, W-A-R-D. At some point, getting into the Desert Fathers and Mothers means immersing yourself in primary source material. Which brings us to these translations from Benedict Award, one of the foremost modern authorities on desert spirituality. Her volume organizes desert sayings and stories by theme, making it a handy guide. Mine is a mess of notes and markings, a must-have for those looking to go deeper. So this one is a translation of the primary sources. So this one may be the book you may want to start off with because you can really just see what was they were saying. The Desert Father saying of the early Christian monks, it is $10.99 for the Kindle, $14 for the paperback or $15, all right? Here we go, the Desert Father sayings of the early Christian monks. The Desert Fathers were the first Christian monks living in solitude in the deserts of Egypt, Palestine, and Syria. In contrast to the formalized and official theology of the founding fathers of the church, they were ordinary Christians who chose to renounce the world 
live lives of celibacy, fasting, vigil, prayer, and poverty in direct and simple response to the gospel. Now, that is very, very, very important, all right? The Desert Fathers are to be understood in a very different way than what we would refer to as the Founding Fathers or the Early Fathers of the Church. When we talk about the Church Fathers of the Church, uh, the, the Church Fathers or the church, the church Fathers of the Church, that's redundant. When we talk about the Early Church Fathers, let me state it that way, I'm going to say we have the formal ones, right? These are men who may be much more educated, were very much involved in the early church councils, maybe writing very important theological works, books maybe related to hermeneutics. I will call these the formal fathers. The desert fathers were really more just your ordinary Christian who saw in the Bible, wait, Jesus seems to indicate I'm supposed to sell everything I have, leave everything behind and go follow him. Well, then I'm selling everything, leaving everything, I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to go dedicate my life to Christ in the desert. So that means it may not be, their theology may not be as formal and as thought out as maybe what you would see in the formal fathers. I think that's very important in reading the desert fathers. Now that's, and it's interesting, because I think in every, I, I, think, that, I think this is just something true in church history. And and I and I think you would have to acknowledge this. You can go to any church, go to any church. Let's say a church of 200 people, right? You have 200 people and the church can have their doctrinal statement. They can have their confessions of faith. They can have their catechisms. The pastor can spend hours and hours and hours a week trying to preach and disciple them. But if you get those 200 people away from the church and away from any anything and find out exactly what they really think and what they really believe, it's shocking how many times how contrary it may be to the actual doctrine and teach. Sometimes you're shocked. You're like, you've been going to church and you don't believe this and you don't believe that. Sometimes what the formal statements of Christianity say versus the average Christian's belief Sometimes they're in conflict. And I think maybe when you think of what some of the what some of the things that the formal fathers were saying around this time and what the desert fathers were saying, you may go, hmm, interesting. Why is there a disconnect? I think there's always a disconnect. That's just my own personal feeling, but you can tell me what you think. All right. Um it says here, first recorded in the fourth century, their sayings consist of spiritual advice, anecdotes, parables, and reflections on life. Influenced the rule of St. Benedict, the St. Benedictine rule about monastery life, which we've talked about in uh, podcasts before, set the pattern for Western monasticism and have inspired centuries of poetry, opera, and art. Organized around key themes, charity, fortitude, lust, Patience, prayer, self-control, and visions, visions, visions. I think you'll see a little bit of Christian mysticism in some things here, right? So you need to be on the lookout for that. And I think early Christian mysticism laid the foundation for the modern charismatic movement. I think there's a, I think there's a, I think early Christian mysticism really set the stage for what would become, ultimately would explode into the charismatic movement. That's my own feelings. About that, you can tell me your thoughts there. Um, For more than 70 years, uh, the uh, the Penguin Publisher has been leading, uh, has been leading, uh, has become the leading publisher of classic literature, and they go through talking about them. But it's called The Desert Father, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks 
by Benedicta Ward. I think I would really challenge you to start with that one. I think I would, one, it's just interesting that that she groups, like these are just the translation of their actual saying. So you're going to primary source, but it's grouped together under themes. So it's just not like these random sayings of the fathers. You're like, okay, this one jumps to the, they're grouped together. So you're like, okay, here's everything the church fathers had to say about celibacy or here are the church fathers, the desert fathers. Here's everything they had to say about lust or whatever the case may be. I think that would be a more interesting read And I think it may be more beneficial. If you're not going to read a lot of these, I would start with this one. Now, this one's going to take you a little bit more time, 240 pages. So if you don't have any time this summer to read anything else, get the Desert Father sayings of the early Christian monks and read it, okay? Now, maybe this summer, I'll have to check. If we can, we'll try to give away a couple of copies so that we can put some in your hands. You'll just have to be looking, listening for the podcast to see. Because if we have money, we like to give, you know, whatever, whenever we can put something in someone's hands, we try to do that, all right? So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do, all right? The Desert Father sayings of the early Christian monks, okay? Now, so let's go through these books again. Summer 2022. Take some time to get to know the Desert Fathers. First book, The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen, N-O-U-W-E-N. The second book, The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton. Third, The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks by Benedicta Ward. That's the one I would start with. I would start with The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks. That's the one I would start with because it's primary source. Right. Number four, John Cassian Conferences. One reason we know about the Desert Fathers and Mothers at all is because of John Cassian. As a young man, Cassian traveled to Palestine and Egypt to drink from the wells of desert wisdom. 25 years later, he founded a monastery, uh, a Benedict of Nursia later used Cassian's writings to found his own monastic communities, which shaped Benedictine, uh, Cistercian, and Trappist life to this day. All right, that I don't know about this one. I'm going to click on this one. This is John, it's called John Cassian Conferences, Class, Classics of Western Spirituality. Um, it, this one will cost you $25.00. And, and uh, paperback. There, there's an audio book of it. Um, I'm not a fan of audio books. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to recommend this one. I mean, you can look at it. It's called John Cassian, C-A-S-S-I-A-N, Conferences. I don't know if, maybe that one would be extremely helpful I would still, so let's go through these again. Number one, The Way of the Heart, Henry Nowen. Number two, The Wisdom of the Desert, Thomas Merton. Number three, The Desert Father, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks by Benedict Ward. That's the one I would recommend. John Cassian Conferences, maybe, all right? Last, Where God Happens, Discovering Christ in One Another. The book blends the sayings of the desert with Rowan Williams' unmistakable theological clarity and cultural analysis, showing just how relevant the wisdom of the desert is to our increasingly polarized times. Uh, 
As Williams writes, and I quote, what is to be learned in the desert is clearly not some individual technique for communing with the divine, but the business of becoming a means of reconciliation and healing for the neighbor. So this is going to be a book that tries to take the the desert fathers and place them in a more modern context or take the wisdom of the desert fathers and apply it to the times in which we find ourselves. This one is called Where God Happens, Discovering Christ and One Another. Rowan Williams, Rowan, R-O-W-A-N, Williams. This one costs $16 on Kindle and... uh, Um, basically $18 for a paperback. Now, you can always find used copies of these. This is what it says about this book. The place where God happens, according to Rowan Williams, striking new reading of the desert fathers and mothers is between is between each other. It's a truth that we of the 21st century must urgently need to learn in order to heal the experience of alienation that is so is becoming an epidemic to our age. And these old and appealing ancient figures surprisingly hold keys to this healing. The 4th century Christian hermits of Egypt, Syria, and Palestine understood the truth of Christian community profoundly, and their lives demonstrated it vividly. Even though they often lived in solitude and isolation, the author breaks through our preconceived ideas of the Desert Fathers to reveal them in a new light as true and worthy role models, even for us in our modern lives. All right, and there's much more I could read about it, but that is where God happens discovering Christ in one another. So let's go through these one last time. Summer 2022. I want you to get to know the Desert Fathers. Five books that I can just say, here you go. One of them I'm not so sure about. One of them I would say that's the one to start with, but hey, you can do whatever you would like to do. So are you ready? The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. N-O-U-W-E-N, The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. Number two, The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton. The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton. Number three, The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks, translated by Benedict Ward. That's the one you should go with. Number four, John Cassian Conferences. Number five, Where God Happens, Discovering Christ in One Another by Rowan Williams. There you have it. Enjoy getting to know the Desert Fathers this summer, July 2022. I think it's a perfect time to do so. And if you need to, you can go sit outside. You can, if you need to, drive to Texas, right? Bring you a, you know, a lawn chair, come to Texas, sit down somewhere where it's 106 degrees and read one of these books about the church fathers. That will really create the perfect atmosphere, right? You'll be like, it's, I feel like I'm in the desert. And then you can like, oh, I'm going to read the desert fathers, right? Okay, maybe, maybe that's a little extreme, okay? But I, I know I'm not doing that, right? I'm not going to go. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put an, I'm going to put something on my television in 4K ultra high def, some some image of the desert, right? And I'm like, okay, there's the desert. And then I'm going to sit in the air conditioning room and then read about the Desert Fathers while looking at high def images of the desert. Does, does that sound, do you like my idea? Do you like my second idea or my first idea better, right? For those who want to go sit outside, you can go sit outside, but I, I'm going to stay inside. But I'll create the atmosphere by watching images of the desert in 4K. That that's that's yeah. 
I'm not, I don't want to be outside. No, it's too hot. Okay. It's too hot. It's too hot. Sounds good. Desert Fathers. Yeah. What? Are you up for the challenge? If you are, the one where I'm going to recommend, again, let me state it again, is the one translated by Benedict Award, The Desert Fathers, Sayings of the Early Christian Monks. That's the one. If you need help finding the book, let me go ahead and open it right here. I'm going to save it to my notes. Just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and I will send you the link. There you go. And uh, we want you to, if you if you start reading it, you have questions, email me and your question will probably become a podcast episode, right? <laughs> because that's usually how it works. Okay, everyone have a great day. I'm going to stop right there, all right? A little bit of discussion about church history, pointing you to some resources. Hopefully, some of this will be beneficial. And uh, because I cannot state this enough. If you're a Christian, you need to study church history. You need to do everything you can to plead, beg your church to teach church history, not to be a, don't be a nuisance. Don't cause trouble. Just in private, say, come can we do some actual study of church history here? Like, you know, maybe the, the first seven ecumenical councils, right? All of the decrees, the anathemas. Can we do that? I mean, could we study some, uh, like, you know, Athanasius? Could we, I mean, can we study church history here uh, and do so in an in a, in a encouraging way, not in a nagging way? And, and then please beg them to study church history, not like, well, we're going to study church history. And, and the whole goal is simply to twist it to say, to find what supposedly you agree with. No, just study church history and let them be who they are. Let them be who they were. And whether you agree or disagree, this is what they said. This is what they did. And then you can try to search and figure out why, what led them to that conclusion? I wonder, I wonder what made them think that way. And, and it, it raises questions. And sometimes it makes you uncomfortable. Sometimes you don't like it, but it's the reality of the history of the faith, which we claim to be, we, to be a part of. If you, we claim to be a part of Christianity, wouldn't we want to know the history of Christianity? It's sometimes shocking that you can be in a class, you can be in Bible college or seminary, right? And you can be in your first, like, first freshman freshman year basic church history class. I mean, you're talking like the basics of the basics of the basics of the basics, right? Freshman level, right? It's it, In many cases, it shouldn't even be in a seminary or Bible college. It should be like a it's like a seventh grade class. It's so basic. It's so simple, right? And then immediately the teacher starts and you'll re- and he'll start asking some questions. And you have all these kids raised in a Christian home, gone to church, were Christian homeschooled. And they're like, uh, wait, what? Uh, council of what? Saint who? And you're like, where in... What were y'all doing in church? Well, we had some lock-ins. We had pizza parties. We had a good youth group. And what? Nobody bothered to teach you any church history? I, I, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me how that is so common occurrence. And so maybe I convict you a little bit. If you don't know the history, how you think it's time? Start with the Desert Fathers. Oh, there's, there's some issues with some of the things they said. But at least you'll know and get some ideas of what was said. Right? Okay. I'm just, I'm just hoping someone agrees with me. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a very great day. God bless.